Well, it's that time where clearly we've managed to re-establish this through the technology of Zoom, and we can actually say to our ace Gibraltarian correspondent and superb journalist with the Gibraltar Chronicle, Gabriella Peralta, welcome back to the Midweek Drive Morning Edition. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Well, great. I mean, I'm just prepping actually for a feature on the power of pause, which we'll be focusing uh, later on in the programme. Uh, Kay O'Donnell, who's the vice president of the Waltham uh, Pet Care Science Institute, and also Craig McClellan, a military veteran and founder and CEO of Veterans with Dogs, have kind of come up with something which I think is a fairly self-evident study. And I'm sure yourself and Frodo would have been uh, well able to say, but of course this is the case, that actually walking with dogs and walking with canines, a bit like swimming with dolphins, can be really good for people suffering from PS, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or indeed uh, challenges faced by the COVID virus as well. So an uh, interesting line there. I mean, have you ever found that Frodo calms you down? A walk with Fro Frodo, socially distanced, of course, is, is, is a critical part of your own uh, well-being. You know what? It's even hard to get him out of the house sometimes because oh, um, he's really lazy. <laughs> so um, past a certain hour, yeah. he won't, he'll refuse to, to leave the house. Um, so he has to get um, practically dragged out the house. So um, maybe that part isn't calming <laughs> because it's a nightly routine. Um, and sometimes it starts as early as six o'clock in the in the evening. Um, mm. But um, yeah, I think he's a bit calming. He like he's very slow walker. He's not like um, other dogs where they just get on with it. He will stop and smell every single thing and walk extremely slowly because he doesn't actually want to walk. He will only walk fast when he knows that you're in the direction back to home. In other words, you're kind of <laughs> saying there that Frodo actually has captured the art of mindfulness for canines, that actually yeah. living in the moment is much more important than running all over the place. I mean, he wouldn't get on well with a chihuahua, would he? No, he doesn't. And um, he also sometimes sits down in his walks when he decides, decides that enough is enough and he's reached as far as he's going to reach. Yeah. So, um, I, I suppose you can admire his... his fortitude and, and positivity in terms of that but I suspect that uh, it, well I don't know maybe he would be ideal for a, a PTSD veteran um, a veteran with a dog oh, I, shall, I shall put that to, to the team let's remind people where people can follow uh, Frodo on Instagram is he still Lord Frodo he is still Lord Frodo the pug I haven't updated it in a, in a long time actually so I should probably put a picture up <laughs> and all this time social distancing and in lockdown Goodness me. Um, let's yeah. talk about the Gibraltar Chronicle, uh, because I've been looking at some of the recent stories within the whole field. Uh, one which caught my eye was Art Heritage. I'm uh, not sure whether you're responsible for that. I love the uh, image of, uh, of an artist uh, and uh, the, uh, the sort of aspect of how people are uh, limiting their travel this year. Um, so art is, is beginning to develop accordingly. Yeah, yeah we're encouraging people to um, visit local ga um, galleries, and make the most of what we have locally since now um, many can't go abroad. So um, we're encouraging staycations and what better than going to a gallery for a day. Yeah. However, bearing in mind that I see that a former director of public health has warned against lazy habits 
in the community response to COVID-19. It hasn't gone away. People tend to think, oh, it's gone away. Uh, no, there are lots of outbreaks and flare-ups around the globe. One of our own mutual colleagues, and I think one of your fellow um, graduates of the University of Lincoln, Natasha Armstrong, is currently in lockdown in Melbourne. Uh, we've obviously heard about what's been going on in the States as well. Um, is there a sense in Gibraltar that people are, are kind of slipping into, again, those uh, pre-COVID habits, which obviously runs the risk of another health scare emerging? No, um, yes, I think people understandably are fed up. Um, we've been at home for months now. Um, so people are tired of it and I completely understand it. Um, the current director of public health has also warned about uh, against it as well. Um, just people are going out more, not wearing masks as much, definitely hugging each other. Um, so we're back to that. And um, we can also do short breaks in Spain as well. So it's just a lot more movement. Uh, but then again, it is allowed. You know, we oh. are allowed to um, travel across. And so people are, I think, making the most of what we've got right now before we have another flare-up. So it's understandable that people just want to make the most of it before they might have to lock down again. Yes, um, of course. But the irony, the irony okay. being that they yeah. might, in, in making the most of it, actually cause the flare-up that they're most afraid of in causing yeah. the lockdown in the first place. But never mind. Yeah, they'll accelerate it at the same time. So it's a catch-22, but it's understandable that people are just a bit sick and tired of it mm. all. So, um, but yeah. Well, when we talk about sick and tired, I, I don't know if you've uh, in Gibraltar been covering uh, any of the recent cancel culture that's been emerging from our <laughs> uh, friends over the United States and the calling out of uh, people for all manner of issues, whether it's incorrect use of words or perceived incorrect use of words or appropriate aspects from that point of view. Is there any sort of sense, and, and within the Gibraltar Chronicle, are you much, much, much more careful? I mean, clearly you're obviously careful as a trained journalist in terms of what you put into the newspaper and so on. But in terms of opinion pieces and so on, um, are we heading towards a culture where effectively people say, well, if I don't agree with you, I'm going to unfriend you and call you out and show what a wonderful woke person I am, in the words of former President Barack Obama? Um, we haven't cut covered cancel culture i know that it's i think it's much more of a big deal in america um with celebrities and politicians over there but it's not really something that happens here um we've always been quite conscious of what opinion pieces we publish it's a small community oh. um so we always um will you know it's, it's someone's opinion but it's always um good to give someone a nudge when you think or something's a bit off here and, and you give them a nudge and say, do you really want to say this in the public in, and have it um, in, in the public domain? And then they'll, they'll maybe come back and say, actually, no. Um, so we do try our best to um, make sure that um, opinion pieces that run in the paper, are, um, the person is comfortable with it. They don't have any regrets afterwards um, and that they're not... Um, that they're quite moderate, we feel. 
Well, there is, of course, a difference between a nudge, as you've described it, and uh, well, basically uh, completely uh, ending a person's career. But that's another line for another time. And, and I'm, don't worry, Gabriella, I'm not going to be inviting David Starkey on the show any foreseeable future. So we'll just step away from that one uh, Im immediately. Um, again, intrigued to find that clearly Gibraltar being, um, it's not an island, is it? It's a peninsula. Is that right? Yeah, it's not an island because we're attached to, to yes. Spain. Yeah. But uh, but I do see that uh, you have uh, cruise liner technical calls, which emerged in terms yeah. of the, the actual thing. The cruise ship Explorer of the Seas uh, visited Gibraltar uh, for, for technical calls. Is that, that's not a euphemism, is it? They didn't just want to actually go and find a loo somewhere. No, it's usually just refueling. Ah. So they'll stop at the port, um, they'll refuel, they might restock on, on food. Um, because now, as we know, cruise ships... Um, I don't think a lot of them are even running. Or well, indeed, uh, exactly. Um, so they're they're just still going around um, sailing, but um, they're just stopping by, refueling, stocking up, and then heading off again. So that's what really all they can do right now. And probably actually having a test on request as well. See the way I kind of segued into that in terms of the uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, system as well, which I think will probably still be echoing um, for the next few months at least. Um, you do actually have, I think upon your person, a weather forecast for Lincoln, England, which you're now about to deliver from Gibraltar in Europe. Okay, so the weather for Lincoln is highs of 24 degrees centigrade, lows of 14 degrees centigrade, and it's a day with sunny intervals and a gentle breeze. Again, the quality, it doesn't matter what technology we're using, whether it's a mobile phone, whether it's an InVision still shot of Gabriella via the magic of Zoom, the whole thing works perfectly. I didn't know for myself up today, basically, because I just thought, oh, I'll keep myself on just the other. But if you want a, qu a quick look, I'll just press the little button now and uh, a major shock. Like, Way there we are, a little wave, a little wave to yourself to actually say, Oh, hi. hi. Yes. I see in, in real life, I'm not going to turn my camera on. <laughs> no, <again>. no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, 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 I did, I did roll out of bed. Well, exactly, exactly. It's, 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 a, it's you know, natural way forward from that point of view. However, let's leave with those last two questions first of all Gabriella Peralta have you had a reasonably interesting zoomer with us today I have thank you and therefore can we look forward to connecting with you again probably similar time next week yeah yeah and hopefully I'll wake up slightly earlier oh, yes. and I will turn on the camera Gabriella you're a very 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 hard-working journalist so clearly you know the the agony that you the, the the blood the metaphorical tears that you actually sweat through in terms of actually putting your stories together it's perfectly understandable and besides worst case scenario you can always say I'm just following the example of my pet Frodo exactly he doesn't wake up either Hey there, everybody. I'm filmmaker, podcaster, California State Certified Violence Prevention Specialist, and podiatrist to the stars, Phil Lairness. And I've been proud to be a U.S. cultural correspondent for Alex Lefchuk's Midweek Drive program for many years now. And I congratulate you, dear listener, on having found this oasis of podcast audio magic in the cosmos or on your internet-equipped mobile device, or your computer.
a cold finger Beckons you to enter his web of sin Grand Slam, for instance. Could well be. Uh, Ben Lewis is back with us for the traditional weekly predictor challenge. How are you, Ben? I'm very well, thank you, Alex. How are you? Yeah, well, um, yes, good. Um, You know, we're getting conflicted. We're getting the Prime Minister saying, get back to work. Then they're saying, don't get back to work. They say, wear face coverings, don't wear face coverings. A lot of conflicting feet, though. The WHO saying it's just starting. It's just the beginning of all manner of challenges. New Zealand saying, we are okay. Uh, apart from occasional sort of glitches in the whole system. However, Ben, you've actually made a move geographically since last we spoke. No longer are you actually our Brighton or just outside Brighton correspondent. You're now actually in the East Midlands. I am indeed. I'm back in Lincoln, where uh, where all this began, I guess. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's not the coronavirus in case people are panicking no, thinking no, no, no. have, they, have they come up with a different line in terms of was it not bats in uh, in in wet markets in in china it was actually sort of people in in lincoln that actually set it up no no absolutely categorically <laughs> fake news fake news Completely. then people will be probably saying I'm, I'm too quick to actually stamp on that rumor you know so obviously there must be something in it but never mind Oh, yeah. yeah, we're talking about the radio shows. Well, I mean, what can I say, Ben? I mean, you. <laughs> Let's have a look at those predictor things. I mean, yes, you can tell I'm almost speechless with respect to this because uh, Bournemouth Tottenham, we both effectively got incorrect. You predicted 4 0 to Tottenham. I said 2 0 in the end, 0 0. But then, of course, uh, Everton Southampton, I went for 2 1 to Everton. Uh, you went for 1 all. Correct result, 1 all. Another three points for yourself. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
I'll take that. So, taking us on to, of course, the next scenario, which was Aston Villa and Manchester United. Uh, you said Aston Villa would lose 2-0. I said Manchester United would win 3-1. Two points for each of us because we got the scores. We, we got the results right, not the exact scores. Yeah, and then of course we have the uh, final one, another sort of two points for Leeds United, uh, Stoke City. Uh, you said two nil to Leeds United. I said two one, Leeds United five, Stoke City nil. That ultimately means that you have got uh, another um, five plus three, three plus two plus two, uh, twelve points, and I have eight points. So you have extend you have extended that lead. You have extended that lead as we move into the next round of prediction scenarios. I think this time round, I'm going to let you go first for these, because okay. um, in previous weeks they, they are in no particular order: Everton, Aston Villa, Leicester City, Sheffield United, Crystal Palace, Manchester United, and Southampton, Brighton. All to be played. If you're listening to this on the Midweek Drive Morning Edition on Thursday uh, morning, uh, this evening they'll be played on the evening of the 16th of July. So there you have it. And you know, at least you know we could offset sort of Southampton's rogue results against uh, um Pep Guardiola's uh, fantastic team. I mean, I just, I, the the post was just so frustrating. Mind you, I think it's the biggest audience that uh, televised football has had since Project Restart began actually. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And, and well, it depends how how we get on for, with Man City and Brighton as well later today. That well, <laughs> well obviously when broadcast, that'll already be done. Exactly, so, uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, you just have to be grateful that Watford uh, and uh, Bournemouth and um, Norwich have, and Aston Villa obviously have not necessarily been at their best, basically. I think I suspect... I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I think, I think Brighton might be safe, but uh, who, who knows? Until we're mathematically safe, then uh, I, I remain sceptical. Exactly. Uh, and actually, I was prompted last week, clearly, uh, I need to bring Ian Lennox back onto these things because, uh, I mean, clearly Newcastle United have, had to have continued their great record against Man City, so uh, it's nice to see that that's uh, uh, solid from that point of view. Uh, they yes. keep they keep trying to get a takeover, but it's not, you know, it's not happening, so not there happening. we are. Uh, OK, let's move into the uh, predictions then. Your thoughts on Everton-Aston Villa? Uh, obviously, it's, it's sort of a... a I think it's going to be a one-way result. If I'm honest, I think uh, I'm expecting a. I'll go. I'll go one 0 win Everton. I don't think it'll be a big win, but I think one nil. Possibly a Dominic Calvert Lewin uh, win. Yeah, or Richarlison. Yes, yeah, he he did score a good one the other night. If he'd scored a uh, another one, uh, I would have been quite happy, basically. But uh, it would have been it would have turned around. It's on these it's on these things that you know whole championships are decided. And I do know that you know clearly uh, people talk about Project Restart and they talk about the European uh, Cup in uh, August and the FA Cup and so on. But ultimately, it's the Lewis Leftuk uh, predictor challenge that has really gripped the nation. Really. We've taken what Talk Sport did with chicken racing and actually knocked it into a, 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 a cap, basically. We've, we've, we've progressed ahead from that. Uh, I'm going for 2-1 to Everton for that one. So we're both predicting a win. I said Everton 2, Aston Villa 1. You've gone for 1-0 to Everton. OK, Leicester City, Sheffield United. I think this will be a Leicester City win. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this will be 2-1 two, two to Leicester City. 
Yeah, although they have been kind of flapping and I can see that actually Chelsea and Manchester United could take third and fourth spot um, and hopefully if the results work out okay for City this week uh, there won't be any question about the fifth point, fifth place actually counting but that's, that's a by the by. Um, I'm going to go one all. I, I okay. think Sheffield United uh, have actually shown an uptake in form and I think they're heading towards certainly a Europa League place which probably means they're going to be battling against relegation ne- next season it's ironic isn't it really you know, they, they yeah. try so hard to get into the Europa, Europa Cup and then they complain when they get there there are too many fixtures and end up battling against relegation never mind uh, so 2-1 for yourself and 1-0 for myself Leicester of course still in lockdown although I think the game can still take place as far as I'm aware in, you know, in, in the King Power Stadium that yeah. is Crystal Palace, Manchester United. Uh, Man United are in very good form at the minute with Mason Greenwood and um, uh, a couple of other young, young chaps as well. So I, I think I think it will be I think it'll be three three nil to Man United. Whoa. I think it'll be a very comfortable win for Man United away from home as well. Well, that's exactly the same score I've gone for. Uh, so I, I, also, I also had Crystal Palace nil, Manchester United three. So I, either way, that could be uh, a, uh, an interesting sort of result. Southampton versus, of course, the city. Is it the city of Brighton? It is, isn't it? Is it the city? city yeah. Yes, I thought so. Yes, exactly. Of course, to be, to be precise, Brighton and Hove Albion. Yes. Yes. I think the result this game will be... Uh, a one-all draw. Uh, being, I'd be hopeful, but I, I think Southampton will be in more their favour. But I'm, I, I'd like to go with a one-all draw on this one. It is, of course, a bit of a local derby. Um, I'm uh, not letting uh, uh, any uh, things swim me on that one. I'm saying Southampton 2, Brighton 0. I think that um, uh, Ralph Hasenhutl Ralph um, is, is, is doing well. And obviously, since the 9-0 drubbing at Leicester City, uh, they seem to have actually, to quote a cliche, turned the corner. Uh, so we hear that the statistics are in and uh, even with the uh, Prime Minister and uh, various other parties uh, ensuring or suggesting we should all go out and about only 50% of people actually went down to the pub um, uh, community cricket resumes today I see that new rules are that before the match people uh, should turn up to the game wearing the correct kit if possible bringing their own equipment no more than 30 people should be involved in the match so uh, curious, same number as can attend a funeral could be very confusing. You know, are you going to a funeral? Going to see a community cricket match? Very difficult. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> could do <laughs> both, perhaps. I mean, if you actually did both, would you be allowed to have 60 people? No, surely not. Maybe. Um, That's true. Well, yeah. Side by side. A sort of aggregate score. You know, yeah. an aggregate score. You can have the hearse and the wickets. Um, during play, all players must stay at least a metre apart. Mm-hmm. Batsmen should establish separate lanes when they are running between the wickets. Uh, umpires not allowed to touch the ball. Players cannot use spit or sweat to shine it. Every 20 minutes or six overs play will be paused to allow all those on the pitch to wash their hands. If it rains, people should seek shelter in their own cars. Mm. <laughs> They can't go to the clubhouse. No, 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 no. All no, oh, right. No, 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 no. Uh, after the game, clubs should not provide teas. Uh, players who want food must bring their own. Packed lunches, obviously. Uh, equipment and services must be thoroughly cleaned before leaving the site. Uh, you know, I don't think we're back to normal somehow. You know, it's just a thought, but you know, I don't. I don't think it's quite necessarily the sort of. The, it, seems, uh, it kind of seems strange because it feels like there's less rules for for football than there are for cricket. Mm. Cricket seems a more socially distanced game, but they can go into the thing is for footballers. They can still go into the changing rooms. 
yes. still using buses to get to the ground. Yes. Except, of course... I, I don't really understand how that's one that has to be different. Yeah. In the case of Everton, where the uh, visiting team actually has to change in porter cabins because Goodison Park hasn't been pulled down as yet and it's still uh, an Archibald Leach stadium, uh, which obviously Archibald Leach, the uh, wonderful architect who designed so many of the uh, formerly iconic yeah. stadia, uh, Glasgow Rangers, of course, Everton, a uh, whole stack of us. Essen Park was always actually uh, designed by Archibald Leach, I believe, um, all, all since gone. Times change, but at least pandemics remain the same. Very true. Oh, yes, different vibe. Uh, so, Ben, now that you're in Lincoln, of course, how long are you going to be in Lincoln? Um, I'll be here until, I, I believe, the 15th, 16th of August. Ah, ah. So, uh, well, well, well so then, in, wi- in which case, we may well look to do a socially distanced uh, outside broadcast on location report after a fashion. I may well actually venture out of the haven that is Middlesbrough uh, in the northeast of England. Haven indeed. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to think so, you know. Uh, and, and and probably sort of a treble my current mileage, which currently, uh, since March the 23rd, uh, the mileage on uh, Faithful Bumblebee has been a nice solid 92 miles. So there we are. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah, exactly. Bumblebee's coping with the... Um... Well, it's, it's, it's relaxed, you know, unwind. We've passed its MOT. It's all sorted through on that. So, so good news are actually there. So I will nevertheless ask you those last two questions first of all have you had a recently interesting phoner because we're not zooming as yet but you have combined both um today yes i have thank you good so the next critical question is as we look ahead we've done our scores we've done our predictions and so on and so forth uh, will you be connecting with us possibly via zoom possibly via phone one of those two mechanisms in the very near future uh, i will indeed
today, but had to go to visit you. You never know. Is in danger and there's trouble in the air. We forget our little squabbles and its trespasses beware. All the nation is united when the danger looms in sight, and we march along together as we sing with all our might. We must all stick together, all stick together, and the clouds will soon roll by. We must all stick together, all stick together. Never mind the old school tie. United we shall stand, whatever may befall. The richest in the land, the poorest of us all. We must all stick together. Birds of a feather, and the clouds will soon roll by. We must all stick together, all stick together, and the clouds will. stuff there from Geraldo and we must all stick together quite right too all in this together we must all stick together and maintain that battle spirit much as uh, in the mission uh, when people were actually uh, diving in uh, uh, wonderful crucifix fashion uh, over waterfalls and so on we had the magic of Ennio Morricone and so on but let's not move in any way shape or form to consider the joys and the sad loss of Ennio Morricone at least he won his Academy Award it's time to welcome Richard Fitzwilliams for the weekly classic and contemporary movie slots and sometimes occasional tributes as well. And I think Annie Morricone obviously falls into the category of tributes. Oh, he does, and uh, a fascinating character. I mean, one has to uh, state the um, amazing record first, a child prodigy, the absolutely extraordinary uh, fact that he did scores for 
400 plus films. I mean, it was amazing. And, and certainly, though he disliked the term, and it, he would do well, up, it was so highly regarded in Italy, never, that he didn't like leaving Rome, and he didn't speak English quite deliberately, it was thought. Uh, but nonetheless, the so-called spaghetti westerns, I mean, uh, that really, really made him iconic, I think. Uh, also, the amazing different techniques, you know, whistles and gunshots and cracking whips and all of this. I mean, uh, there was nothing, no sound he wouldn't use if it enriched the movie. And uh, no doubt at all with the mission and the uh, Battle of Algiers, which is my favorite documentary and cinema parody, so which I adored, far more conventional score for that, of course, and The Untouchables, uh, Hamlet. Uh, yes, I mean, an amazing career, and certainly um, someone who was a, experimented superbly. And I mean, uh, the Westerns most particularly have had attention, uh, and his uh, extraordinary collaboration with Sergio Leone, who would apparently, amazing this, allow him to write the score beforehand, or a lot of it. Indeed so. And we might squeeze in some sort of insert of uh, Ennio Morricone, because bizarrely, Mr Computer is just not, not coming up with anything at present. It's obviously a conspiracy. If I was given a choice of Alan J. Pacula's conspiracy theories, movies, and his paranoid trilogy, as it's often referred to, uh, All the President's Men, Clute, and The Parallax View, I've got to say, Richard, I'd probably go for The Parallax View as being my personal favourite, but that's not what we're considering today. You're going to go for Clute. I think it was an extraordinary film, uh, but why would you choose the Parallax View? I'm interested. I felt cinematically, and you might laugh when I'm talking about uh, this because clearly, as you know, I'm one of those folk who actually will use tablets and view mobile phones on that, but cinematically, some of the shot composition, whether it's a case of Warren Beatty by the uh, hydroelectric power dam when the waters come down, whether it's a case of the uh, initial inception uh, and, and the way in which he actually uh, bring, gets together with the Parallax uh, corpor Corporation and so on, uh, are fantastic. I think the uh, it's a downbeat ending, no spoilers, but I feel that the overall uh, tenor of the uh, the Parallax view, given that it was produced three years after Clute, uh, it's 1974, I think, as opposed to 1971, uh, I think it managed to capture uh, the times. And I was often, I was struck actually watching um, Pacula's work, thinking, goodness, that that really is a big screen movie about a, a topic which clearly resonates with the state of uh, of American play at the time, and and lots of wonderful inserts. We had William Daniels uh, in there. And I thought the way he managed to juxtapose periods of a very, very calm and apparent calm with a huge uh, sudden shock, whether it be an explosive shock, whether it be an assassination, any of those things, very well handled. That's why I would go for that. Clute, I felt, was a good movie. Doesn't quite... But I could see there more the work of a director in progress. Parallax View, for me, I think he was basically at the top of his game. And all the president's men? Yeah, I mean, that has had so many... So much praise levelled oh, well, upon it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think uh, maybe it was a case of the the overhype, and I felt Parallax View needed to have its uh, it, its, uh, its its bushel removed and a little bit of light shone upon it because I think it was under un, underrated. Well, I have to say that putting the case for Clute, uh, I was fascinated by it as a psychological thriller, which is so audacious it reveals the 
who the murderer is pretty early on. And it's those also, CIA people. Those CIA people again. I have no spoilers. No, of course not. But nonetheless, uh, its central character fascinated me because Bree Daniels, a high-class call girl, addicted to but also seeking release from her work, uh, it's the device, which I think works, where she consults a psychiatrist and gives us, I thought, a fascinating insight into the struggles involved. I mean, she tries to break into modeling and acting. She's based in a cheap apartment. She'd formerly been in Park Lane. And there we realized from the beginning of the film, she believes she's being stalked, receiving odd calls, hearing noises, and so forth. And you're lured into the, by the, the viewer, into the world of the stalked. As well, of course, since we see constant, um, to the tape which uh, the murderer has made. Um, the, by the murderer, I refer to the fact that uh, Tom Grunemann, uh, character we never actually see, has disappeared. Uh, the police get nowhere in six months, and his colleague, Peter Cable, played by Charles Keofi, hires his best friend, the private detective John Clute, played by Donald Sutherland, to investigate further, and there is a link to Bree Daniels in The Big Apple. And that is where Clute goes and discovers that there is a link between the three girls who were operating under uh, the pimp Frankie Ligurin, played by Roy Schneider, and the the murderer who we discover, as I say early on who he is, but also as we track one of the girls as supposedly committed suicide, it's obviously murder, the second is a junkie, and we track her during her decline, very clever scenes there, but also the relationship that develops between Bree and Clute, which starts to change her outlook on life, but also disconcerts her. That, too, I, I found absolutely fascinating. When Arlen Page, who's the, the second of the girls, is murdered, Clute knows the killer, who's trashed Bree's apartment, and he's, in fact, knows, we know that he's around, um, won't stop there. And what fascinated me, firstly, the cinematic devices, the way the urban jungle, the Big Apple, is portrayed. Um, this eerie music, one of the features of this movie is the sort of heavy breather style music as we see the hand of a stalker move in silhouette while watching Brie in her apartment below. This sort of thing, the sound of a lift resembling a cage, which is a sort of metaphor for the plight, I thought, of humans trapped in an emotional wasteland. We hear the recordings of the voice which the murderer plays to himself. This is Bree's voice, someone beat up on her some period ago, but of course she's had so many clients she can't remember, and the letter that connects her to um, Tom Grunemann, which the police found, um, she can't identify him either. Some dizzying shots, for example, the perversity of power, where the murderer looks out of a skyscraper and then you have this dizzying dive by the camera to ground level. A very, very clever, I thought, uh, and fascinating too in highlighting the appeal of the big city. Clute comes from remote Tuscarora, which breeds despises. There's a 
pivotal scene in this movie. She taunts Clute. Did we city folks get to you, Clute? Just a little. The sin, the wickedness. And he replies, all oh, that's so pathetic. And yet, they click. She's attracted to him. He's patently sincere, but she can't imagine herself darning sucks in Tuscarora. So what happens? Uh, this is a movie where the chemistry between Fonda and Sutherland is absolutely perfection, absolute perfection. And her performance is really, really superb. And an emotional hollow, emotionally hollow life, which she can justify until she falls for Clute. And the film is deliberately unclear as to precisely how this develops. Uh, it's really, really fascinating. There, could have, there are devices that, as I mentioned, the psychiatrist, they could have been contrived, but it works so well. Yet the irony is, of course, the film is called Clute, yet she is its, she is its center. Donald Sutherland, an excellent understated performance, a man and a mission under the lack of charisma, integrity and dedication, and yet he can be tempted, as we see, he's attracted to Brie. Peter Cable, uh, played by Charles Kiofi, a very believable character, Roy Schneider, convincing pimp, very, very impressive, I thought, and the way the story grips us is so superlative. We're in a more, far more liberated era than 1971. So Jane Fonda's brilliance at playing a woman who calls the shots in a profession, which is usually identified as male domination, it'll have, I thought, extra resonance now. Hannah and Jane, of course, as she uh, was beginning to develop a reputation for her because it was long after her Barbarella. Well, actually, not so long after Barbarella. Uh, Roger Vadim, uh, Apoc, which uh, in many ways that on Golden Pond and, of course, her aerobics videos uh, very much uh, demonstrating a, a worthwhile career in all sorts of ways. Uh, certainly a controversial one in other ways, too. Yeah, well, there we are. Peter Fonda tries, but never quite managed to live up to the same sort of... Uh, oh, no, no, he didn't. But there we are. Uh, OK, we move from there to South Africa for your next choice. Yes, now, this is a Curtin Home movie, and it's particularly fascinating. It combines sensitivity with brutal realism. The title, uh, Muffy, is, uh, which is the title of the movie, is a derogatory Afrikaans term for a gay man when homosexuality was illegal in South Africa during the apartheid regime. And in 1981, white adolescents were compulsorily conscripted to serve for two years on the border with Angola to fight a communist-led insurgency. So we meet Nicholas van der Swart, played by Kai Luke Brummer. He travels to join his unit in camp. Uh, forbidden relationship develops between him and a fellow recruit, Dylan Starston, played by Ryan de Villiers. This has to be hidden. Director Olivia Hamanis lays stress, very, very interesting, this, on the homoerotic nature of army life in lyrical visuals, yet in contrast, you've got the brutally perverse nature of the training the conscripts re uh, receive and how their attitudes are conditioned by the policies of the regime. So I was fascinated by this, born in South Africa, I left before 1981, but the racism and the paranoia of the period is very vividly depicted. And when they arrive for their training, they're bullied and tormented by sadists, most particularly Sergeant Brandt, played by Hilson Pesner. It's a microcosm of the wider apartheid system. Thank you. 
But it's interesting to see, and it uses flashbacks well, that Nicholas, when young, had gay tendencies, and there's a traumatic scene at a holiday camp where these are obvious, and then in the fate that awaits anyone caught in flagrante in the army is something that's absolutely grotesque. Good action scenes where the conscripts go into action, tense and realistic. So how does Nicholas survive what to him is a form of incarceration? How does his relationship with Dylan develop? What of his family? And very sensitive performances, visually outstanding, and it shows how many tragedies and so much unhappiness is caused by discrimination in all its forms. I, I thought a very good film. There we are, Moffy, uh, given a full, a solid recommendation there from Richard Fitzwilliams, uh, and uh, as was indeed Clute, which, yeah, I liked it, but I still, I'd still say the parallax uh, uh, view for me. Maybe it's because, uh, yeah, le- yes, I, I won't even say, no, just parallax view would, would be my vote. But then again, that's that's another line. Where are we going to go for your next exciting um, uh session richard because as i say i mean we, we might even develop this on zoom we might do it what, what do you have in mind for next week as far as classic movies are concerned well next week i mean we have a choice of quite a large number there's always master and commander with russell crowe or there's how about the chariots of Fire. There's a good one. Well, it's got music by Vangelis, who many people would say might have been influenced by Ennio Morricone. Oh, I don't know about that. I haven't... That I haven't... (laughs) He was with Aphrodite's child, of course, and his full name, of course, in Greek is Vangelis Papathanasiou. That's just the music alone. And in the light of the recent sad loss, of course, of uh, Sir Ian... And I was going to say McKellen, but that's completely wrong. Sir Ian Holm. Thank you, Sir Ian Holm. Uh, I think we'll go Chariots of Fire for the classic next week. Um, A little question for you again in terms of music production if we can actually dig this through the library we don't have it immediately now for our uh, Saturday listener for our Thursday morning listener uh, for Eddie Morricone would you go Once Upon in the, Once Upon a Time in the West The Good, The Bad and the Ugly Two, mul- two Mules for Sister Sarah uh, Moses the Lawgiver or The Untouchable which The Untouchables which one would oh, you go Oh I, I, I think it's got to be The Good, The Bad and The Ugly I mean that is anyway the most famous I think of all Richard have you had a reasonably interesting telephonic link with us on the programme today Yes I certainly have and Will you be back again with us for another delightful insertion? Sorry, that sounds a lot worse than it actually meant. I mean, I did step away from that. It's it's been an it's been an unusual time, Richard. I put it down to to lockdown and, and various other factors and and wearing the masks. Uh, will you be back again very soon? <laughs> yes, I will be. Hurrah!